the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Or Salem Media Group. Welcome to the Bullington Capital Report, hosted by Bill Bullington. For the next hour, you'll receive information on current market conditions and trends that could affect your financial future. If you have a question, you can participate in today's program by calling 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0WHK. You can also reach Bill by going to his website, BullingtonCapital.com. And now, here's Bill Bullington. Well, welcome back. I am here today with Michael Seeger. Hi, nice to be here. Yeah, thanks. The uh, Mike is a student at Case and uh, an intern and a partner in this still to be launched, but coming very shortly, the uh, Lookout for the Bull website, educational website. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, we've gotten a lot of good ideas, and uh, now we just need to get them uh, all lined up and out into the public. And we've got a, uh, we'll actually be talking about a lot of the stuff that that, that website's going to be covering uh, at the seminar coming up on Saturday. I'm uh, Saturday, coming up on Thursday. <laughs> that's a uh, February 21st that's coming right up and uh, I'm really looking forward to that that's, the seminar's title is actually the quickest path to recovery without increasing your risk and uh, that's a uh, that's a big thing trying to recover without increasing your risk and we get a lot of people that you know when the markets go down if they get out of the market which is not a good thing to do um they want to try to make that back up. And, and by the way, to make that back up, you have to increase the amount of risk you're taking in most cases. And that is not a good thing to do if you can avoid it. And uh, so one of the ways to recovering without increasing your risk is figuring out how much you should have, how much exposure you should have to begin with. And that helps a lot. <laughs> I mean, a lot. A lot of the solutions are actually pretty simple. And that's one of the things I, uh, I, I like working with uh, younger people like Mike because they get it very quickly. And a lot of the stuff that I'd, I'd learned when I was in college wasn't all that helpful, I would say. Um, some of it was. I had one really good finance professor, by the way, who uh, recommended that we would join the National Association of Investment Clubs, and which at, back in those days was about $35. And we're talking about the uh, early 80s. Mm-hmm. So 35 bucks, the equivalent's probably 150 bucks, you know, a lot of, uh, now I'm telling you how old I really am, <laughs> but the, uh, um, I got that course and it really laid out the, the groundwork at the, the basics, the fundamentals. Um, it wasn't all that complicated. Uh, if you actually did the work, then you realize that, Hey, you know what? The stocks really fluctuate a lot. And it doesn't, in the short run, over a one or two year time period, it doesn't seem to have a whole lot to do with what is actually going on at the company. And when you get 
older and you've been watching the markets for a while, what you begin to realize is that, yeah, it's the latest news that has the biggest impact on short-term stock prices more than anything else. Plus, stocks are significantly more volatile today. You know, they, they've grown in volatility quite a bit. Yeah. Um, yep. Especially on a short-term basis, that's gotten a lot worse. The short-term volatility is intense. I have to hang on for one second. Okay, sorry about that. I had to switch my uh, headset because my uh, the jack wasn't staying plugged in on the one I was using. So anyway, yeah, the volatility has gotten a lot worse. In fact, there are more 2% days uh, in the last 20 years than there were in the prior 60. So that, that's pretty wild. Just recently, and I rarely have seen this, but the S&P 500, the Dow, they went up 5% in one day. Wow. One day. So and this is what, it, it's kind of funny because you get a lot of people talking about, well, I want to know what the returns are. Okay, from which hour to which hour? <laughs> <laughs> because you know what? If you miss that 5%, your numbers are forever going to be different than everybody else's that invested in the exact same thing you invested in. Right. But at a different time period. Maybe by just an hour. Okay, So... Uh, it's actually rendered a lot of that stuff kind of useless. Uh, so it's you really have to know what you're investing in, and hopefully your advisors know what you're investing in, uh, to be able to get some idea of the kind of risk you're taking. That's basically what the, uh, the seminar is all about. And that's what the, realistically, that's what the Lookout for the Bull website's going to be. Uh, we're going to talk about it in plain English. You know, we say things like sales and profits. Instead of uh, revenues and you know net income, net after-tax income, net pre-tax income, all that kind of stuff, we're going to leave that off. And we're just going to talk in, in terms that you won't have to study too long to be able to memorize and become familiar with. So I, Yeah, I, I got it before I took any finance or econ classes. It's, it's basic stuff. Yep. Yeah. So that's a... The vast majority of stocks are really basic. If you've listened to this show for any length of time, one of the things I really liked seeing uh, recently was Procter & Gamble is going to raise prices. I think they're going to raise prices by about 3%. So what that means is if you're buying a uh, you know, some Tide and it's 15 bucks, you know, for whatever whatever it is, uh, 3% of $15.45. Okay, so it's going to go up 45 cents. Now, will you notice 45 cents? <laughs> I sure won't. I, neither will I. But when you add three percent to the gross sales to your sales, mm -hmm. okay, because you're raising prices three percent, and your profit margin last year was only twelve percent, it's huge. Yeah, how much are your profits going up by? This is what I've been talking about the entire my entire career, you know, and it's actually what I learned in my econ classes back in college. I know a lot of the professors thought I wasn't listening or in <laughs> <laughs> uh, oftentimes, uh, you know, skipped a lot of those classes and came showed up for the final, <laughs> but the, um, but you know, you take, take the final exam, you got to study the book. And I did pick up through the class. And I thought it was fascinating how that all worked. So Procter & Gamble makes stuff like Tide. Uh, they make Crest, you know, they've got a ton of products that I have in my home, Go to their website, look at it. You're like, oh yeah, I use a lot of that stuff, Mister Clean, and um, 
if they raise prices by 3%, most people don't think, you know, 3%, yeah, that's not very much. It's not, unless you're looking at the bottom line. You know, if, I, if my revenues just go up 3%, guess what? Does, did my rent at the factory go up? Nope. Same. And by the way, if I bought the factory, okay, and I depreciated it, so I'm not really making a lot of payments, those prices, I mean, uh, that that's fixed. The, the fixed cost is fixed. So the increase in revenues typically goes mostly to the bottom, bottom line. And there are two ways to make, to increase your profits if you're a company. You can increase your, your uh, sales sales prices mm-hmm. and increasing sales, or you can uh, cut your costs. And if you try to do both at the same time and you're successful, woohoo, you know, that, that's pretty awesome. But uh, so anyway, that'll be one of the co- companies that, and, and I have to disclose that, yeah, I own the stock. The, uh, I've owned it for a while. Uh, is it going to go up, you know, 10,000 fold like a pot stock that has no sales or earnings? Yeah, probably not. Uh, ever <laughs> could it come down a lot? Yep. But, uh, in the long run, I think it's pretty decent here. Uh, I've, yeah, I've been talking about it for a couple of years now, so I'm, I'm actually up fairly significantly on it. And, uh, it's a, uh, um, that's a good company. And I just looked at that, but the thing that caught my eye was that the sales, uh, are going to go up because they're raising prices. And we've been talking about that forever. That's why, Stocks have a tendency to do better than bonds. You know, a 30-year bond is guaranteeing for 30 years that you're going to get that whopping 3%, you know, income. And it's fixed. Mm-hmm. And I will guarantee 30 years from now that $30 that you're getting for every $1,000 that you invested is not going to purchase nearly as much. And in the long run, the reason that stocks have typically done better than bonds is because companies like Procter and Gamble or like Hershey's or like Clorox, uh, if they're well managed, they're going to take those costs increase that they're paying because of tariffs or whatever, you know, what have you. They're going to pass those costs on to the consumer because they have to if they want to maintain their profit margin. And believe me, if they don't maintain their profit margins, they will be gone. They will be gone. If the CEO fails to keep profit margins that keep up with the industry averages. So if you can't be average, why do we need you? <laughs> right. We're not paying you to be below average. <laughs> and that I've never heard anybody talk about this. They've never heard. I've never heard anybody talk about what goes on in a boardroom at a publicly traded company. They are looking at the profit margins and they're looking at the CEO going, well, <laughs> and if the CEO doesn't own, you know, 38% of the stock like Warren Buffett does at Berkshire Hathaway, it's, which makes it almost impossible to remove that guy. Yeah. And uh, which they wouldn't want to do anyway. But the, um, if they don't, then they, they're, everybody's aware of what the bogeys are. You know, what are my goals? What am I going to try to do? So there's a lot of pressure on the management to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak. You need, if you can't be industry average, well, we got to find somebody that can at least be industry average because the board of directors has the shareholders, uh, best interest at heart and the shareholders are interested in showing profits. Now to say that out loud in some, (laughs) in some company today, when you're talking about shareholders, 
uh, you, you'll, you'll get a lot of uh, people going, you know, no, and, uh, it's generally a much smaller percentage of the population. It would be a lot smaller percentage of the population if they knew that those government pensions that they're getting, you know, they're trying to reform government and, you know, there's a lot of, uh, 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 you know, I probably wouldn't go that far, but the uh, most people have some money in the stock market today. I think 85% of the population is, uh, and, and I think it's kind of funny sometimes when I say, well, do you have any money in the stock market? Oh, no, I'll never do that. Uh, what is that growth and in income fund? <laughs> so they don't even realize that they have money in the stock market. And that a lot of things, um, you know, making profits is, is actually a healthy thing. You, you need to do that. The companies risk a lot to try to make those profits. Uh, if they're doing it in a bad way, obviously that needs to stop. The uh, So um, being non-judgmental kind of, uh, important when it comes to looking at your money and your investments. Uh, just try not to judge. And the ultimate judge is how successful was the management at increasing the revenues for the company? How successful were they at managing the costs? Because if you can increase revenues and manage your costs well, over time that's going to lead to good things called profits. And we all need profits to be able to retire one day. You know, the uh, We all need that. Everybody needs that. It's in the common interests of the general population. And, uh, you know, today, unlike when I started in the business today, you can open an account with a hundred bucks, actually less than that. I think fidelity does has no minimums now. So you can literally walk in and open an account for next to nothing. There are several hundred funds now that you can invest in with no minimums. I mean, no minimums. So you might buy one $10 share of a, uh, an ETF somewhere. And that's a lot different. I mean, the, the minimum investment when I started in the business was $2,500 into a, a particular fund, uh, any fund, pick your, you know, take your pick. And you had to have, so you had to have $2,500. That was a lot of money back in the uh, mid eighties. It was a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's still a lot of money today for a lot of awful lot of people. So that stuff has really, really changed over the years. What uh, what really hasn't changed is that you know, stocks, if they want to grow, are going to have to find a way to increase their revenues and to increase their profits because you can't grow. And if you're not growing, uh, those stocks are not very popular. In fact, their stock prices will drop fairly significantly at the first sign of a slowdown in growth. And many times they'll go down really, really far and stay down there for an extremely long time period until the situation either uh, improves or they, somebody else buys the company and then they cease to exist. Occasionally they'll just file for bankruptcy and cease to exist. And then the other companies come in and buy up their assets. Yeah. So long story short, uh, the quickest path to recovery without increasing your risk means you, you really need to figure out how to find out how much risk you're taking. How much risk is in that fund that I like so much? And why do I like that fund? The vast majority of people like a fund a lot because it's done very well over the past one, three, and five years. And if you look at the actual performance, it's probably over the last 18 months. Um, occasionally, you look at large cap growth as a category. It's been the, the category killer now. It's been in favor for almost five years. And if you've invested outside of that, you've probably made significantly less money. 
Um, so that area got really overpriced, well, about 15, 20% or so. That's why you saw a 20% drop recently. And uh, those stocks came down pretty quickly. Isn't risk uh, twofold, both in you know where you're investing, but also how you do it? Yeah, it actually, um, risk can be multifaceted. There are lots of different types of risk. And it depends on what you're doing. But yeah, uh, absolutely right. And uh, there's a really, really big risk that a lot of people are not talking about at all, and that's inflation risk. Nobody wants to, everybody wants, well, not everybody, but um, an awful lot of people want guarantees. And you can get guarantees. Uh, They're just not very high. The rates of return on guaranteed products are not very high. May not be going much higher uh, for a long time. I mean, interest rates have stayed a lot lower than I thought they would for an extremely long time. And I can remember back in 2008 when you could still get a 5% CD. Okay. You could get a 5% CD. And some people got mad at me on the show because I said, you know what? I think interest rates could end up at 1% and could stay there for a long time, maybe even five years. Okay. Well, here we are 10 years later. It's been above 1% now for about, I don't know, two years. But for eight years, you had interest rates that actually got below 1%. And uh, I still have the show. I still have the show when a guy called in and said, that is never going to happen. He was hoping that that wouldn't happen. (laughs) And I'm looking at it, and it it was just a guess. It was an estimate based on what I saw happening. You've got the economy in, in really bad shape. The thing that they do when interest rates, I'm sorry, when uh, the economy gets in really bad shape, the government will drop interest rates, the Fed will, they'll drop interest rates to make it a little easier to borrow, try to keep things going. And then we'll actually, they haven't done this in a long time, but they can uh, uh, manipulate the reserve requirements, the amount of money that banks have to have in reserve. They can actually change that number. So that frees up, they can free up additional money to be able to be injected into the economy. But typically, the banks just take that money and put it in the uh, uh, with the Fed. <laughs> I oh, I hear the music. That means the first section's over already. Well, you're listening to Bill Bullington and Mike Seeger right here on fourteen twenty. The answer. We'll be back after these messages. We're back. Hey, Mike, you had a question for me? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You were talking about managing risk. Uh, and I, I had said there's it was twofold. You kind of talked about how it was multifaceted. Mm-hmm. W- what I was thinking about was uh, what's the, the best way to sort of limit your risk uh, in how you invest, not necessarily what you invest in? Uh, well, if you let's say we're going to do stocks. Mm-hmm. Okay? We're, we're going to just concentrate on that stock portion of your portfolio. Um, one, of the, one of the ways that you and I had talked about um, I don't really talk about it all that much anymore um, because the uh, uh, computers have changed the way that stocks move. So they move a lot faster. It's not that it doesn't work. It's that you would probably have to have a lot of free time to sit down, analyze a portfolio, uh, and be able to make the 
put the orders in because they're kind of sophisticated. And then you'd have to have some time during the day to watch or adjust those orders. Uh, so I, I probably will talk about that much less in the future because there is another way of doing that. And it actually takes a portion of what we were doing then. Uh, and in that case, we were actually limiting our position. You're still going to limit your position. But you're going to hang on to these things for a lot longer than uh, you typically would. And uh, that's what we're going to be talking about at the, uh, the lookout for the bull. Most people don't have the time to be able to do the uh, trend following stuff anymore. Uh, in fact, I don't even have the time. It is labor intense. Uh, the computers and the increased volatility has made it more so. And so the volatility levels are higher. It's not that it won't work. It's just that you have to have an enormous amount of time. And there are other ways to do that. And the other ways are, are simpler, I think. Uh, they don't require a lot of math. So you're, you're going to, well, they require that you understand the math that we'll be teaching. Mm-hmm. So you, you look for companies who are fundamentally undervalued. By that, I mean, you look at the sales, the profit margins. You do the calculation that we're going to show in our course. And if it takes you more than 60 seconds after you've been doing this for a while, um, you need to practice. Because <laughs> <laughs> it really shouldn't take you much, very much time. Once you get this down, once you put the time in, you got a few hours, practice, we'll show you exactly what to do. You should be able to analyze this stuff pretty quickly. Shouldn't take, I used to call it the 60 second test. If it takes you more than 60 seconds, it's because you haven't been doing it long enough. You will get there. At some point in time, you'll get there. You'll be able to do it in about 30 seconds. And I will tell you the, uh, here, I'm going to pull up a scan and just kind of give you an example. The, uh, so I've got this one scan where I like to look at things that are going up real fast right now. So these companies have been, they're in the top, um, 10% of all stocks over the past 30 days. They've been going up really fast over the past 30 days. So I'm looking at it. And what I like to do in addition to that is I like to look at what the companies are actually selling for. The, uh, and I do the, the whole 60 second calculation. Now I've got a shortcut, so I'm doing it in my head and, and, and I can do it in about two. Um, but that's because I've been doing it forever and it just doesn't take that long. It's like, you know, you and I were talking about this earlier, driving a car. Mm-hmm. You don't really think about all the things you do when you drive a car. You just get in it and drive, right? That, that's how I am with this. So when I'm looking at these companies, I'm going, uh, all right, I, you know, I get it. The, uh, uh, here's what I'm looking for. When you, when you do that, if you're looking for companies that have certain criteria, you're going to limit your exposure. Like I would never, I don't even put 5% of my money in anything anymore. I just wouldn't do it. Why? Because they move too fast. Uh, it's too, there's too much volatility. So I'm going to take a little bit less than 5% per position. Uh, in fact, Today, what's happened over the past five or six years, um, the number of exchange-traded funds that have come out, have it's exploded. And every week, there's still, there are five or six new funds a week. Now, these are funds that are different than the existing funds that are out there. So if you can think of an idea, good, bad, or indifferent, it's out there. Hmm. You just have to find it now. And those are, are extremely well-diversified. 
Uh, and I think you're better off sticking to something like that now. Uh, or if you really want, you know, if you still want to do individual stocks, that's fine. Just realize that they fluctuate wildly. And if you're going to use any sort of a, a trailing stop technique, you're going to get stopped out a lot, like a lot, a lot. And you can still make money that way. It's just harder. It's just harder. It takes more time. But yeah, controlling the risk there is, that is the only way you'll make money there is controlling the amount of risk that you're taking. You can get lucky when you buy exchange traded funds. Uh, you can literally just get lucky and make some money. Now, the, the problem with that, by the way, is you have to stay lucky <laughs> <laughs> to keep the money. Right. But if you bought a bunch of, uh, oh, I forgot what it was. Uh, let me see. I think the symbol, uh, nope, that's the wrong one. Shoot. The, uh, there were some uh, companies that made, or invested in companies that made equipment for uh, routers uh, that were secure. And uh, so they, there was an ETF that came out and it only held, I don't know, 10 or 12 of these stocks and it, and it flew until it crashed. Uh, and then the uh, assets all dropped. But I'm sure this fund will probably hang around. Personally, I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of that. But uh, what I would do instead, is like I'm looking, I see the stocks that are moving now. By the way, on Thursday, there were multiple semiconductor stocks that showed up on one of these momentum scans. What does that tell me? That tells me, hey, you know, we've been talking about semiconductor stocks being the big benefactor on four, uh, 5G. 5G is the fifth generation uh, cell phone technology that's actually going to be used for cable, for radio, for television, for internet access. It can be used for all that stuff. It's used for driverless cars. It's going to make the internet of things something that's real time. So you're going to look in your house. There's going to be no... Uh, 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 what do they call that when they uh, used to call it caching when the video times out? Oh, uh, like buffering? Yeah. Okay. That's going to be a thing of the past. Mm-hmm. So you'll be able to, to call back at your house and you'll have cameras set up all over the place. It's going to make it very uncomfortable going in somebody's house that you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, uh, reality is that stuff's coming, like it or not, it's on its way. Uh, it's going to mean that if you want to use those really high speeds to get a better deal on your cable, to get a better deal on your cell phone, whatever, the, uh, you're going to have to buy new equipment. You're going to have to buy a new phone. You're going to have to buy a new laptop. You're going to have to buy a new tablet. Um, the cars are coming with those semiconductors built into them. My refrigerator, my microwave, and my oven all have them, uh, which is crazy because I'm never going to use that stuff. But I, had I known they were on there, I wouldn't have purchased it anyway. But the uh, that's beside the point. Uh, the point is that they're there. Uh, and the Bluetooth technology that they came with is not it's not all that good. So uh, that's going to improve. And at some point in time, yeah, I'll probably just talk to my phone and say, hey, uh, you know that steak I put in there? Turn it on. You know, turn the oven on, and I want you to turn it off in 12 minutes. <laughs> Excuse me. So long story short, I look at the semiconductor industry as the, one of the biggest benefactors of the, all that change because it's all semiconductor and software driven. And uh, they've got other things going for them too. They've got the solar panels, which have a ton of semiconductors in them. They've got uh, light bulbs, you know, which have semiconductors in them. The LED lighting is, is uh, from, you know, I'm not an electrical engineer, by the way, 
but uh, there was actually a company, I can't remember who they were, it was a pretty big semiconductor manufacturer who stopped making semiconductors to start making the LED lights because they thought that the market for them was better in LED lighting, and the equipment is very similar. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was really fascinating. So you got all these things pointing to one particular industry more than others. A lot of industries are going to benefit. Software industry benefits humongously. But for right now, as we're making the transition from 4G to 5G, semiconductors are doing quite well. The demand on semiconductors, and it's not just 5G, it's all those other things we talked about. So I look up, I do the 60-second test, the one we'll be teaching at the seminar, yeah, the one we'll be using in our website, Look Out for the Bull, and I go, wow, um, these things act like they don't know. <laughs> it's not these things, it's actually the investors that are investing in those stocks act like they don't know that this is coming because if they did, they would be asking a whole lot more money for these stocks. And and that's a good thing. Uh, and uh, semiconductor stocks are volatile because they're technology. Most people don't really understand them that well. The average investor uh, doesn't really have a, a lot of background. Um, most of your engineers, I mean, unless you're involved in that. And you know, by the way, GE has a, one of the bigger semiconductor manufacturing facilities uh, out of all, a lot of companies. I don't know how many people even knew that. The, uh, the only reason I knew is because I have a client that used to work there. Actually, a couple of them, by the way. But the, um, and I thought, oh, that's, how interesting is that? And, uh, so the bottom line is they're going to benefit from that. You look at their sales, you look at the types of profit margins that they generate, and you go, oh, you know, that looks really good. But instead of having to buy a semiconductor company, and, and, and by the way, at every seminar you watch, somebody, who's not listening today, but who listened and already signed up Mm -hmm. is going to ask, okay, what's the company, (laughs) (laughs) which is the one. (laughs) Yeah. Let me tell you something. If I knew that wouldn't be doing this radio show, (laughs) not not at all, but, uh, but that's okay because it doesn't mean you can't make money. It's not an all or nothing deal. Okay. This is going to spread out. And and in fact, it's going to sell more cars. Because all your cars have semiconductors in them now. Yeah. And when the car is able to be uh, put together with 5G chips in it, you're going to come in, you're going to uh, train it just like, I tra- just like you train it today to work with your Bluetooth. You're going to do that. It's going to do it probably automatically. They'll do it in the dealership before you take off. And you will speak to your car. You know, I speak to my car now. I had to set it up myself. Mm-hmm. And to hook up the Bluetooth and set it all up, not a big deal. Didn't take very long, but you know, it's just it's interesting to see all this developing. the 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 more interesting part is that this hasn't actually taken hold yet in the uh, investing public's imagination. Now, when it does, the I, I think you see these things get grossly overpriced. They'll go from where they are now. They'll be three, four, five times farther than they are now, if that happens. That's what happened in the late 90s with most technology stocks and a lot of semiconductor stocks. Semiconductors were benefiting because the computers were getting faster, more people were getting internet available to them at higher speeds, and the semiconductors were just a benefactor of that industry going through a rapid expansion. And some of these things sold for unbelievably high prices. It was mind-boggling what people paid for these things. Uh, we actually saw a little bit of that with NVIDIA a little over a year ago. 
that stock uh, makes graphics cards. They also make um, semiconductors. They make a lot of different things, uh, mostly semiconductors. And they were being used in the Bitcoin miners. And I am watching that stock just climb and climb and climb. And by the way, if you were trying to trade that when you got stopped out a million times, you'd have still been profitable. More importantly, you would have missed uh, most of the drop that just came from, it was 290 bucks back in October. It's at 157 now. Oof. That's 50%. Yeah. See ya. The, uh, and it, it's still not an undervalued stock. <laughs> so people look at it, oh, what? It's down by half. We should buy it now, right? Uh, no, you know, not when it's only worth a quarter. <laughs> Let's wait until it gets down to a quarter of the value that, you know, of that 60 second test and, and then we'll buy it or the, uh, or let it, let it get below the 60 second test because if it dropped another half, it would be slightly overvalued for an average company, hmm. slightly overvalued for an average company. And it'll, it, you know, it'll be down about 75% from, from its peak at that point in time. And try to get somebody to buy a stock that's down 75%. What, they don't go down 75% unless there's a bunch of negative news you know, to drive it down because the positive news is what drove it up there to begin with. So that's just one of those things. And NVIDIA is actually one of the companies in one of the ETFs that I'm holding. And I almost decided not to buy that ETF because of that, mm-hmm. because it was a pretty big part of it. And then I thought, well, I don't know. They're going to rebalance it. They will start selling it when it starts to crash. Yeah. And it's just a super small part of the total because it's a, uh, just one part of one of the funds and I'm holding five funds and they're all, um, broken down differently. They invest differently in the same industry. So that was one of the, one, that's one of the ways that you can, um, control your risk. You know, back 10 years ago, there was only one fund to invest in the semiconductor index, and that was the Philadelphia, the SOX, S-O-X-X is the symbol, and that was it. You know, but since then, there are other people come around and say, hey, you know what, that's a little narrow. Uh, we think we can create value by going into other parts of that market. And uh, I'm thinking, yeah, cool, because uh, I don't like to put all my money in 30 stocks anymore. Especially when, you know, ten or fifteen percent of the money is going to be in one. That's that was the position that Nvidia had, by the way. And I, at one point in time, it got up to almost twenty percent of the fund. So you may have thought you were diversified by buying that fund. But Not really? Yeah. And uh, that's where this all this stuff comes in and, and can really help to control the risk. Uh, you have to diversify. You just have to. Um, when I was younger uh, and things didn't move quite as fast as they do today. I would typically hold somewhere between eight and 12 stocks for, for the stock portion. I would get killed if I would do that today. I mean, I would just be crushed. Well, actually I would have time periods where everybody thought I walked on water and then I'd have periods <laughs> where everybody thought I did. <laughs> you can't know what you're talking about, but the, uh, anyway, we got to take another real quick commercial break. You're listening to Bill Bullington, Mike Seager right here on 1420. The answer stay tuned. Every tear will be wiped away. Every sorrow and sin erased.
And we're back. Hey, you're listening to Bill Bullington and Mike Seeger here on 1420. We're going to get ready to, this is actually my partner in the Look Out for the Bull website. Um, A lot of the things that we're talking about, I realize, you know, you're out there, you're driving, uh, you can't stop and write this stuff down. (laughs) So we want to put, we're going to make it available as a course and then we'll have an an ongoing uh, email newsletter. I'll be subscription based, won't be a really high cost. And uh, you'll be able to do both of them or one of them or you know, whatever you'd like to do. And we're going to be talking about that coming up on uh, Thursday at the seminar. And the title, the official title for the seminar was The Quickest. Quickest. Man, I sound like, uh, what's it, Sylvester? The cat? The cat? <laughs> <laughs> quickest. Anyway, The Quickest Path to Recovery Without Increasing Your Risk. Stocks are still down a little bit the uh, from where they peaked. Um, not too much more and a lot of stuff, you know, it's started to shift a little bit before the big, uh, drop started to go into some areas that haven't had much love for four or five years. And that's a good thing. Yeah. Cause and that's typically how it works, but yeah, you get one area that does really well. I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll, if somebody tried to time this up, holy cow, I'm just looking at the chart of this. It, it's just mind boggling. So you want to recover as quickly as you can and actually want to try to avoid going down. That's, that's all about risk management. And that's what we're talking about. How do you manage the amount of risk you're taking? How do you even know what kind of risk you're taking? The vast majority of people have no idea. They, they really don't. I talk to them all the time and it's not their fault. It's, it's not taught. It's not taught to the firms that have financial advisors out there. You know, they don't have continuing education to be, an employee of a major financial services firm? None. Hmm. Now, if you're a CFA or if you're a CFP, CPA, investment fiduciary, all those, they have to go and take classes and, and keep up with it. But the vast majority of them really, I mean, just to be a financial advisor, there's nothing. <laughs> you have no continuing education requirements. And uh, in fact, that the probably one of the easier tests to pass <laughs> that I've had, that I've taken over the years. But, uh, and then there's no ongoing. I just, I'm like, what, you know, it's so anyway, long story short, you want to try to mark that down. You can go to bullingtoncapital.com to sign up for that. It's free. Again, there's no cost to attend. Seating is limited. And uh, we're going to be talking about the quickest path to recovery without increasing your risk. A big part of the lookout for the bull. You know, we've uh, been struggling trying to get this thing up and running. We're going to be, showing the, the preview of what we've got going so far there. And uh, that shouldn't take too much longer, actually. I think we've got most of the, the big problems uh, worked out. And uh, so hopefully we'll be, get that up in the next couple of weeks. And I don't know, the investment club is probably going to be very informal at first. And then uh, as time goes on, if somebody wants to volunteer, to, by the way, the hard part about doing an investment club it's just like opening a hedge fund. The paperwork's the same. Hmm. <laughs> you're, you're forming a limited partnership and you have to calculate the value of everybody's contributions to that. It's, it's a real fund. And uh, so there's a lot of paperwork involved with that. So we may always just keep it kind of on an informal basis uh, until if we've got a lot of interest in it and we got somebody that would volunteer to do the, uh, the paperwork, that, that would be great, you know, because... That's, that's a lot like real work. <laughs> and, uh, I, I was, I was actually shocked 
when I first found out about it. That was, you know, a couple of decades ago, but just the amount of paperwork that these guys are, these people are going through for investment clubs. So what that told me was that the investment clubs don't buy and sell very much. They're a much longer term, longer oriented investing. And, uh, I'm kind of torn when it comes to that because if I buy a stock and it goes up and now it's overpriced and I've held on to it for less than a year, if I sell it, I'm going to get tagged with a short-term capital gain. Mm -hmm. If I hang on to it, there's a pretty good chance that it comes back more than the amount of tax I would have owed had I just sold it. Right. (laughs) So if it's not in an IRA... It's what uh, Greenspan would call a conundrum. <laughs> what do I do? The uh, and the investment clubs. I know they're they, the, all the ones that I've ever talked with. They're very slow, so they might hang on to this stuff for you know forever. And it's why the uh, their track records were not uh, probably as good as what they could have been. And that is really hard. I mean, that is really hard. I remember uh, Qualcomm. Back in the late '90s, I held on to that stock for like three years, and it just went sideways violently. It, it, the range was like thirty-seven percent. I, I used to track it, and it was just aggravating the living dog out of everybody. And then in one year, it goes up twenty-six hundred percent in a year. One year. Now I didn't catch that entire move because when it got overpriced. I started putting a, I put a trailing stop on it. Mm-hmm. By the way, the trailing stop had to be mental because you couldn't do trailing stops with the trading system of the firm that I was working for <laughs> at that point in time. You had to watch it? Yes, I had, to, I had to watch it and talk about nuts. But anyway, it got to a point and it, it started to come down. And so I just sold it. It recovered and went up and doubled again. So if you were perfect... If you sold at the top, you'd you'd have made twenty seven hundred or twenty three hundred percent on your money from my initial purchase price. If you were more perfect than I was and bought it at the low that happened three or four years prior to that, it was more like twenty eight hundred. <laughs> so uh, anyway, so the price that we sold that stock at back in the year two thousand, it's still at that price today. Wow. <laughs> what year is it? 2019. (laughs) So it was overpriced when I sold it. And, uh, you know, this is not indicative of anything. In fact, I have to tell you that that's not investment advice. Uh, and I'm not going to go back and reconstruct every trade I've ever made in my, in my lifetime. The, uh, um, don't just don't do, I would never do that. I would never do that again. Um, mainly because it's a, uh, uh, well, actually the opportunity is probably not there. That those things come along once in a big blue moon, and you are incredibly lucky to capture something like that. Now, I can tell you what they look like. What everyone that's ever done, what Qualcomm has done, all those semiconductor stocks, a lot of them had very similar returns. The a uh, lot of a uh, lot of technology stocks had very similar. Microsoft, Intel, Cisco Systems. You look back in the late nineties, unbelievably, unbelievable rather. The conditions have to be exactly right for that, and that does not happen very often. And uh, so, typically, that that, that is just s- super atypical. So, but it doesn't mean that you just give up. 
It, it means that you have to kind of change your tactics. Uh, maybe the expectations are not going to be quite as high as they once were, but I think given all the available choices, it still makes an enormous amount of sense to have a fairly significant portion of your money put in stocks in some way, shape, or form. I happen to like the uh, the funds because they're clearly defined. The funds have a clear definition of how they're going to invest the money. That's what I love about it. Because I know that each and every one of those stocks has met all the criteria that those guys set out in that prospectus. I know exactly what I have. And that's a kind of a big deal. Now, if you know exactly what factors you're looking for, you can narrow down your list. Let's say a dividend. That makes it really easy. You're going to go from several thousand to several hundred. You still got several hundred. Yeah. And then from that point, you're going to have a bunch of other uh, factors that can be added in. I happen to like the, the profitability uh, in, and consistency. So they'll say, like you would add to some of the uh, ETFs that, I'm, that I hold. These companies have been able to raise their dividend by X percent per year over a certain time period. These companies have met certain profit margin criteria to be added into the list. And if that goes away, so does the stock. We're going to sell it, no questions asked. And so you can clearly define how what you're comfortable with. And uh, you can take a look at their past performance. You can take a look at the indexes that were created using a lot of those strategies. Russell's really uh, fond of doing that. They'll create an index and then they create a fund to mirror that index. And the nice thing about the indexing, they can show you how that w- might've worked in, uh, in the past. Very difficult to do that with a lot of strategies, but uh, anyway, that's a really good one. I have no idea what time it is, by the way. It looks like we still have about uh, five or six minutes here. I've got one minute. Oh, wow. We have one minute. <laughs> so, I would say don't call here. If you want to talk to us, if you have questions, call the office. It's 330-664-0700 or just go to bullingtoncapital.com. Uh, and just, just to finish up here, Mike, the, uh, um, the economy is actually doing very well. The, the banking stocks are the ones that are most important to watch, not their share price movement. You want to watch the uh, loan loss provisions that they're reporting. If, if loan losses start creeping up, economy is going to slow down like lickety split. <laughs> by the time that happens, by the time they start reporting that, by the way, the market's probably going to be down 10, 15% already, and then it'll go down more. So that hadn't happened when this market was dropping. That's why I wasn't panicked. Okay. But anyway, thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me. I always love to be here. Well, no problem. And you've been listening to Bill Bullington, Mike Seeger, right here on 1420 The Answer, here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon. Good, have a good week, everybody. Good luck and good investing. You just caught another edition of the Bullington Cattle Report, broadcasting every Saturday at 11 a.m. on AM 1420, The Answer. If you have a question and you'd like to speak to Bill personally, you can call him at 330-664-0700. That's 330-664-0700. Or online at BullingtonCapital.com. That's BullingtonCapital.com. 
Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Therefore, no current or prospective client should assume that the future performance of any specific investment, investment strategy, including the investments and or investment strategies recommended and or purchased by advisor or product made reference to directly or indirectly will be profitable. Different types of investment involve varying degrees of risk and there can be no assurance that any specific investment will either be suitable or profitable for a client's investment portfolio. No client or prospective client should assume that any information presented serves as the receipt of or substitute for personalized investment advice from the advisor or any other investment professional. The preceding program has been paid for by Bullington Capital Management, LLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 